welcome to the Prophecy Club. As you know, Leslie and I are going to Malaysia to speak, and in the process, I've tried my best to make a lot of broadcasts in advance, but I just can't make enough of them. I'm going to get some help from David Phillips also, but in the meantime, we're going to have to play some audio of the DVDs. And out of the over 300 DVDs that we've made, I've chosen the ones by Michael Rood because I think that the church mostly needs to learn more about the feasts, and that's probably one of the best ones talking on the feast that I know of. So here's the offer, then I'll explain what the DVDs are. We're offering you six discs valued at $160 for a gift of $40, but the best deal is get six discs and watch them at watchprophecyclub.com for only $10. Yeah, they can watch all six of them for only $10, and of course you can get signed up for watchprophecyclub.com for $20 a month or $200 a year. So here's the scoop on it. We're offering you Prophecy in the Spring and Fall Feast. That's a four-disc set by Michael Rood. We're also offering you Fall Feasts in Prophecy by Doug Hamp. And my DVD, 17 Secrets in the Feast and the Trumpets. Again, six DVD discs valued $160 for a gift of $40. And you order the discs at prophecyclub.com. It's called the Feasts in Prophecy gift offer. However, the best deal is watch all six of them for a gift of $10 at WatchProphecyClub.com. You'll have access to the Fall Feasts offer of four titles immediately at WatchProphecyClub.com. But of course, the best deal is you can watch over 200 titles for a gift of $20 a month recurring or $200 a year recurring, and you can watch all of them anytime you want to, including the new Sevenfold Miracle Crusade, which is not going to be offered on DVD. It's only going to be at WatchProphecyClub.com. So, order the discs at ProphecyClub.com. Watch the 200 titles for $20 a month, $200 a year at WatchProphecyClub.com. Or get the Feasts in Prophecy gift offer at ProphecyClub.com for a gift of $40. Or you can watch all of them, all six of them, for a gift of only $10 at WatchProphecyClub.com. little complicated. Call us, 785-266-1112, and we will explain more if you have a question. So let me explain what the DVDs are. First of all, in my opinion, I think that probably Michael Rood is one of the best, if not the best, at explaining the feasts. One of the revelations I received, which is in my new book, Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy, was that Jesus did not fulfill all of the spring feasts. He was not here. As you recall, he ascended 10 days before Pentecost. The feasts are not days to have a party. They are God's appointment days, meaning that when God does major events, he always does them on his feast days. Most especially, they are a picture of the last seven months before Jesus returns. They lay out the two returns, I said the two returns of Jesus, one on first fruits as a lamb, 50 days later his crowning at the marriage feast, and then his final return on trumpets as the line of the tribe of Judah to burn the tares. Michael Rood probably does one of the best jobs I've ever seen in explaining the feast, which is why I've chosen to play his audio of his DVDs today. Michael tells the story of how Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts at his coming, as I said. I don't believe he did. I think it stopped on first fruits. That's our only difference. But other than that, I think he's right on. And it's very important that you learn all you can about these feasts because they help you to understand Bible prophecy. Then we also are offering Doug Hemp's DVD, The Fall Feasts in Prophecy. He says there are seven feasts of the Lord. 
We know Jesus died on Passover. During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he was in the tomb. On first fruits, he arose. Fifty days later, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. He'll also explain the parable of the fig tree in Matthew 24 and demonstrates that we are living at the end of the generation, which will see the budding of the fig tree. Then my DVD is part of the offer, 17 Secrets in the Feasts and the Trumpets. This recording contains the top six revelations I received from memorizing the book of Revelation. In the order of importance, they are the next anointing of Jesus, who are the two witnesses, is not Enoch and Elijah, what is the morning star, seven amazing facts about the 144,000, secrets in the seven feasts and trumpets, who appears before the great white throne, and who appears for the Jesuit seat of Christ, the kings and priests in New Jerusalem, what are and who sits on the other thrones, and what are the other books. So that's four titles, six discs, for a value of $160 at prophecyclub.com for a gift of $40 at watchprophecyclub.com for a gift of $10. But the best deal is just join Watch Prophecy Club. 20 bucks a month, $200 a year. You can watch now over 200, almost 300 titles. Now let's go listen to Michael Rood in Prophecies in the Spring Feasts of the Lord. Every single detail was written. It was embedded in the Feast of the Lord and that he had just fulfilled the Spring Feast of the Lord in every detail in which they had rehearsed it every year of their lives. And when they got all the way out to a mass, and he then sat and broke bread with them, and he gave thanks. He gave thanks to God, and he spoke the same words that he had spoken just a few days before when he was with his disciples there at the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, it says that he took the bread and he blessed God and said, Baruch atah Adonai eloheinu melech halom, halmosi lechemim haaretz. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. He spoke the very same prayer that a thousand years before, when Abraham came back from the slaughter of kings in which he delivered Lot his nephew, and Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, came out of Jerusalem and brought forth bread and wine to Abraham. When Melchizedek came out and brought the bread and wine out, Melchizedek spoke that very prayer. And he taught Abraham about the coming Messiah. Right at that point, when he shared the bread and the wine with Abraham, it does not record everything in the scriptures at that point of what took place. But we know that from that time on, then Abraham then taught his sons and all of their offspring. And every Shabbat, every Shabbat, as we gather around the table, the high priest of the home, the father of that family, will take the bread in his hands and he will bless God with that same prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And the last night that Yahshua was with his disciples, he said, I am the bread of life. This is my body which is broken for you. This which you have been doing every meal, every year, year after year for a thousand years. This was looking forward to this very time that I would be God's provision for you. That my body would be broken for you. So from now on, you do this in remembrance of me. And on that, at that night, as they reclined around the table with those two disciples who he had just taught all the Torah and the prophets to, then he took that matzah in his hands because it's now the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
And he said that same prayer of thanksgiving to God. And then he said, this is my body, which was broken for you. He broke it, laid the matzah on the table, and just like that, disappeared out of their sight. And they just leaped up from the table because they knew it's the Messiah, it's the Lord. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he walked with us by the way and as he opened our understanding to the scriptures. And they took off on a dead run back to Jerusalem. The door that they had slammed just hours before, they burst through the door and now they are so excited and now they begin telling them what had transpired that they had just seen the resurrected Messiah. And he had just interpreted the Torah and the prophets and then he had just fulfilled And As they were beginning to tell the story, then the Messiah appeared in their midst and said, Shalom, Shalom, peace. And it says that he then opened their understanding in the Torah and in the prophets and in all the ketubim, the other scriptures, concerning what he had just fulfilled. He opened their understanding. The word understanding in the Greek is the word synesis. And the word synesis is described in Greek literature as the point at which two rivers come together. Like in America, the Monongahela and the Allegheny come together at Pittsburgh, and at the point they come together to form the mighty Ohio River, that is the synesis. And it is all of our lives that we've had these different streams in our mind. All this information that's come to us all of our lives. As we've read the Gospels, as we've read the different scriptures. But what is going to happen as we now teach the Feast of the Lord, that you are going to see all those things that at one time seemed to be disjointed, that you really didn't know how to put together, they will come together into a mighty river. It will change your life because you will have sunesis. You will have understanding because the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, will give you that understanding as he opens to you these very scriptures. And now, as the scripture says, the law, or the Torah, having a shadow of good things to come. It is a shadow of good things to come embedded in the Torah, in the instructions, and that is why we call this first session Bible Prophecy 101. We're going to go right back to the beginning and see how these things now will make sense as we go back into the Scriptures. And we begin with Jeremiah, and in the 16th chapter and the 14th verse and following, it says, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will bring the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whither I have driven them. And it says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction. In the day of affliction, in the last days when Israel comes back into their own land, it is at that time that in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto the Israel from the ends of the earth and shall say. The word say is a little weak here because it is cry out in repentance. The Gentiles shall come unto thee in the day of affliction, which is about upon us, and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies. Our fathers have inherited vanity in things when there is no profit. You know, if your fathers inherited lies, then what they would pass down to you would be lies, and they wouldn't even know it. Nor would you know it, because it was inherited. It was passed down to you. Remember that... As Stephen said, our fathers received the living oracles to give unto us. There are also the Gentiles 
it says that they have inherited lies and they will repent and cry out, we've inherited lies. We've inherited things that do not profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself that are no gods? And that's what had happened. As I began to describe Easter, the goddess of fertility, which all the rest of the world knows that this is the Babylonian uh, goddess of fertility. But yet, the name Easter is spoken in churches in America when the commandment of God is, Thou shalt not let the name of other gods come out of your mouth. It is a commandment. The Deuteronomy says, God says, Do not learn the way of the heathen. Do not learn how they serve their gods and do so and worship me in the same way and do so unto me. He said, is is an abomination, which is one of the harshest words in the entire Hebrew language. It means utterly repulsive, repugnant, disgusting, putrid, and vile. That's what abomination is. And that is what God says, if you learn the way of the heathen and do the same things and say you're doing it to him. It is utterly repulsive to him. And some will say, well, that's not what it means to me. Well, I don't worship you. I don't care what it means to you. What it means to God is the only thing that matters. And if he calls it repulsive and vile and repugnant, then I would suggest that you get in alignment with God and call it the same thing. And it doesn't matter what family members don't like what you're doing, unless they're God, those family members then do the will of God. Now it says, Therefore, because the Gentiles cry out in repentance, therefore... Behold, I, God, will this once cause them, the Gentiles, to know, which means to understand. I will cause the Gentiles to know by experience my hand and experience my might. And they, the Gentiles, in the last days shall know that my name is the Lord, is what it says in the King James, but... Every time you see capital L-O-R-D in the scriptures, in the English language, in the Hebrew, it is always yod Hey vav Hey. It is the name of the Lord, Yahweh, the holy name of Yahweh, which is not to be spoken in vain, not to be spoken for your own glory or for your own purposes. It is the name of God, Yahweh. And it says that in the last days, God will cause the Gentiles who cry out in repentance to know his name. See, the Lord is simply a title given to every British landowner for the last thousand years. But Yahweh is the name of God. Nearly 7,000 times the name of the Lord, Yahweh, appears in the Hebrew Scriptures. But following a Jewish tradition that teaches that the name is too holy to pronounce, the King James translators substituted the indistinct title, the Lord, but they did it in all capitals so that you would know that whenever you come to that word, capital L-O-R-D, or capital G, capital O, capital D, in the Hebrew, it is always the name of the Lord, which is Yahweh. yod Hey vav Hey. So we know that when the English version says, Praise the name of the Lord. What does it say in Hebrew? Praise the name of Yahweh. When it says, bless the name of the Lord, you would say, okay, I'd like to. What's the name of the Lord? Because in Hebrew it says, bless the name of Yahweh. Nearly 7,000 times it occurs. But yet we have not been taught 
And all it takes is just repentance. We've inherited some lies. We've inherited things that do not profit. And God says if we repent. And that's all you can do when you've inherited lies. You can't beat yourself up for your entire life. You just say, okay, I admit it. I inherited some lies. I want to know the truth. I've received the love of the truth. And I can't get enough of it. Give me some more. I'll obey whatever you teach me. I personally believe that you'll only get as much truth as you'll obey. At the point you compromise and no longer obey, you don't need any more truth. You will be ever learning but not able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Spend all your life learning. That's why he wants us to follow the path of obedience. When the Hebrew scriptures, uh, the English says hallelujah, it says in Hebrew, praise be to Yah. Yah, which is the poetic short form of the name Yahweh. So when you say hallelujah, you're saying praise be to Yah or to Yahweh. And that's why in Hebrew names such as Matthew, it's not Matthew, it's Meret Yahu, Meret Yahu, with the emphasis on Yah as it is in all Hebrew names. It's not Isaiah, it's Yeshiyahu. But you see, Isaiah, I-A-H, is Yah. That's how it is brought over in that language, but it is Yeshiyahu. Instead of Jeremiah, we'll pronounce it Yermiyahu, with the emphasis on Yah. And that's why when we come to the name that the angel Gabriel told Miriam and Yosef to call the Messiah, the son of Miriam, he says, thou shalt call his name Yahshua, Yahshua, with the emphasis on Yah as it is in all Hebrew names. Yah, which is the poetic short form of Yahweh, Shua, which is the contraction or the short form of Yeshua. Yeshua means salvation. However, Yahshua means Yahweh, our God, is our salvation. So every time you say the name Yahshua, you are declaring that Yahweh, our God, is our salvation. It takes a little bit of time to get used to Yahshua more than the familiar Jesus. But every time you're saying it, 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 it's that beautiful name. So I'll call him Jesus so that a lot of people will know who I'm talking about. But when I talk to him, I call him by his real name, Yahshua, and he, he appreciates it. And here I would like to, to show you this because it is Josephus that said on the priest mitre are four vowels. Four vowels. Now there are four consonantal vowels in the Hebrew language. Yod, He, Vav, and Aleph. All of them have vowel pronunciations as well as consonantal pronunciations. Yod, He, Vav, He, as four vowels, have a different pronunciation than what they would be if you pronounced them as all consonants. And that's why you hear different names being used, and many people have asked for this. And so, uh, down on the left-hand side, under the Hebrew, you see on the left-hand side where it says Yod, right under that, Hey, and then Vav, and then Hey. The transliteration into the English uh, many times is Y-H-W-H. But in the Greek, when they t- took the name yod Hey vav Hey, then they transliterated it as Iota, Alpha, Omicron, Upsilon, and Epsilon. And they are all the Greek vowels, and it would be pronounced Iaue, 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 Iaue. In English, the Yod would be like the letter Y or the letter J. And so the letter J was invented in 1630. 
1611 is when the King James Version came out. 1630, the letter J was invented. The letter J was put immediately after the letter I. Because I has the I sound, the letter J has the Y sound. Y sound. Even in uh, Europe today, they don't say uh, Jorgensen, they say Jorgensen. It's not John, it's Jan. They, they pronounce it correctly because it has the Y sound. There is no J in the Hebrew language. So anytime you come to the letter J in the Bible, you always pronounce it as a Y. Y. That's how it is. So phonetically, the yod heh vav heh would be phonetically pronounced as Yah-U-Eh, Yahweh, Yahweh. With yod is the y, the heh is ah, the vav as a vowel is u, and the last heh is a. So it's Yahweh, Yahweh. Not literally Yahweh, but Yahweh. Now, this is what has become known if you take the vowels and turn them into consonants, or the consonantal sounding. Uh, the yod heh vav heh, which is in the King James, Lord, if you turn it into consonants, then you ask the question, well, what kind of vowels would you have? So they take yod heh vav heh, turn them into consonants, and then take the vowels of Adonai, which in Hebrew makes, means Lord, and so you come up with a hybrid name, Yehovah. Yehovah, which of course in English uh, over in America they would mispronounce as Jehovah because we would naturally, Americans just always mispronounce the, the letter J. Or I guess that's how it's come about in our anglicized version. But Jehovah is a hybrid name and uh, the Ashkenazis will pronounce Yahweh, turning the Vav into a consonant but if you keep it as the Sephardic Jews, the Spanish Jews, which most of the world and the Hebrew scholars recognize that the, the, the Sephardic or Spanish Jew pronunciation is more to the original, then it would be Yahweh. But that name is never to be taken in vain, never to be treated lightly. So the Hashem, the name, is Yahweh. And the name of the Messiah is Yahshua, with the soft Vav, Yahushua or Yahshua. And uh, in Hebrew, excuse me, in Greek, it was Iota, and, uh, well, Iasua, Iasua, as you can see, Iasua, and then it came about into the English as Jesus, which is really quite a step away from the original name. So that, that is getting in a little bit more detail, but this is why it is so important that God said, I have brought you out of the bondage of Egypt with a mighty hand so that the entire world may know that my name is Yahweh. That's why God brought Israel out of the land of Egypt, showing his mighty power and destroying Pharaoh's charioteers and army in the Red Sea so that the whole world would know that his name is Yahweh. And then he gave the commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of Yahweh thy God in vain. And so a tradition developed that the name was too holy to be spoken. But just as the prophet spoke before the Babylonian captivity, you have not taught my name to my people, you Kohanim, you priest. You haven't taught my name to my people, but you have taught them to call on Baal. In Hebrew, Baal is simply means the Lord. It's an indistinct title. This is what Sarah called her husband, Abraham, called him Baal. She called him Lord. It's just an indistinct title. And that's what the priests were teaching them, to call on 
the Lord rather than to call on the name of Yahweh. And then God said, if you still refuse to teach my name Yahweh, when you return from captivity, I will destroy your nation. And that is why Israel was destroyed as a nation in 70 AD, because they still refused to do it. Because, remember the Messiah said, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch haba Bashem Yahweh. Blessed is he that comes in the name of Yahweh. He quoted it correctly. He used the name. And of course, the religious tradition, they stood against him because he was speaking the holy name. But he said, you won't see me again until you say that. Baruch haba Bashem Yahweh. And so, since... He said we won't see him until then. I suggest that we never take it in vain, but we say, blessed is he that comes in the name of Yahweh. Just as he said, I have not come in my own name. I have come in my Father's name, in the name of Yahweh, and you have not received me. If you don't receive me, there's another one coming in his own name. Him you will receive. And so it is that warning that we listen to and we adhere to. And understanding that, as in Zechariah it says, in the day of affliction, it says that ten Gentiles will take a hold of the skirt of the Jew and say, let us go with you. We know that God is with you. What is this skirt of the Jew? It is the kanaf. It is the tzitzit on the corner of the garment. That is what God told us at Mount Sinai that we are to put on the corner of our garment. It is a fringe upon which there is to be a single thread of blue, of tehillet. And this tehillet blue is the very color of the floor of the throne room of God. It is that sapphire blue sea on which the 70 elders went up in the mountain and they ate a supper before Yahweh in the holy place up on the Mount Sinai. And he said to put this on the corner of our garments to always remember to keep his commandments. This is why we put it there. How does it remind us? Because it reminds us that we are always in his presence, even though we don't see him. And God says to put this on the corner of our garments, to remember to keep his commandments, and that he would put us in the middle of the trade routes of all the world, and that as the people came through our country, they would ask, what is this? They would ask why we wear this. And we are always to be ready to give an answer to every man that asks a reason of the hope that's in us with fear and trembling. And it says in the last days, when the Gentiles cry out in repentance, they'll come up to the Israelite and grab a hold of the tzitzit and say, Teach us. Teach us. We know that the living oracles of God were committed to you. Teach us. We know that God is with you. We know that the living oracles of God are the shadow pictures of good things to come. As the prophet Malachi spoke, the sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Again, the word wings is the word kanaf, which are the tzitzit on the corner of the garment. And just as the son of... I'm going to interrupt the broadcast right there. In 2017, I memorized the book of Revelation just as a simple project. Surprisingly, I began to receive information on 30 revelations and two visions beyond what is found in the Bible. God showed me a secret door, which is based upon a single word found in Revelation and Leviticus, linking the feasts to the prophecies. When linked, a person enters into an understanding of Bible prophecy not previously known. Even though I've been in the world of Bible prophecy for 40 years, frankly, I did not know anything of what is in this book. One prophetic word described it this way. There is a lock that I have put over a word in the book of Revelation. 
that I'm going to open to you. It will turn so many books written on the end time message into obsolete books. That's this book. Topics are Jesus returns on what feast? The secret of the feasts. Who are the two witnesses? What is the morning star? The judgment seat explained. The great white throne explained. The nations explained. What is the shout? And the parables explained. Seals, trumpets, and vials go in what order? Two amazing prophecy charts on the back flap, 12 inches by 9 inches. Imagine a book on prophecy that brings a fresh, new, accurate perspective. I don't want you to get one book for $20. I want you to get five books for $30 or 10 for 55 It's called The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy. Available at prophecyclub.com. The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy. One for 20 No, 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 don't do that. You want to get five for 30 or the best deal, 10 for 55 Prophecyclub.com. Each single Prophecy Club DVD is a gift of $30. In that you know the internet is going away one day, it is a good idea to actually have the disc. However, at WatchProphecyClub.com you can have instant access to over 200 titles on a recurring monthly subscription of $20 or yearly for $200 at WatchProphecyClub.com. That's $6,000 worth of information at WatchProphecyClub.com. That's WatchProphecyClub.com. What a deal.